All right, and welcome back again to the Grok Science Show. I am one of your co-hosts, Tom Stewart, here in studio with recent graduate of the University of Chicago's Committee on Immunology, Edwin Reyes. Thanks for coming, Edwin. Thanks for having me, Tom. So I brought you in, and I wanted to talk to you for a number of reasons. Uh, the first is your science is just super cool. So you recently gave a presentation to the department about your dissertation, uh, and you study cancer, cancer broadly, and specifically what kind of cancer? Prostate cancer. Prostate cancer. Right. So maybe you can give us a little bit of background about what cancer is and how people are studying it, and then we can go into your own research specifically. Yeah, no problem. So so there are definitely uh, many types of cancer. In fact, there's over 100 different types of cancers that have been reported. Um, so I specifically study prostate cancer, and what that is, it's cancer that affects the prostate, and the prostate is a organ that's, that only males have, so it's a reproductive organ that um, mainly functions to excrete uh, seminal fluid. So the cancer in general, um, it, it's at, at the most fundamental level, is abnormal cell growth that may, may spread to different types of tissues. So, I mean, so in terms of my research? Sure, yeah. I mean, so let's stick with cancer for a second. You said there's a bunch of different kinds, and they can affect different tissues. I guess, how do, what are people doing to study cancer? I know it's a big health issue, so it's obviously costing people lives. Right. Um, part of what people are doing, I think, as I understand it, is trying to figure out what the causes of cancer are, and then also, once someone has cancer, how we can treat them and provide a medical solution. Right, right correct. And your research spans both of those things. How do we discover that someone has cancer? Right, so you mean like a patient-doctor a patient -doctor interaction? Yeah, yeah. So, because I study prostate cancer, I'm more, more familiar with uh, how this occurs, so... A patient will go to a doctor, um, make an appointment, and they may present with symptoms. Sometimes some cancers are asymptomatic. So in order to determine whether a patient has prostate cancer, a biopsy is required. So a, a doctor will take tissue samples and look at it under a microscope to really determine if the tissue looks abnormal. And if it does, and depending on what kind of cancer it is, they'll recommend different courses of treatment. Correct, correct. So if a patient goes into um, a doctor's office and is diagnosed with prostate cancer, if the cancer is localized or if it's still within the prostate, um, depending on the stage and the grade of the cancer or depending on where the cancer is or how it appears at the cellular level, this will really determine what, what will happen in terms of treatment. So uh, one type of treatment for a low-grade, low-stage cancer would be uh, watchful waiting or active surveillance. And this is basically when the patient is monitored through time um, to see if the cancer becomes worse. And that might be called a benign tumor, right? When it's still not yet causing harm? Or is that something else? Well, you know, that's a good question. So it, it depends on on what the doctors will see um, under in, under the microscope, you know. So, But in general, if, if they do consider it to be a cancer, um, then the cancer can, you know, be removed. That's another way to go, go about of... Uh, treating a patient with prostate cancer that's still localized okay. within the prostate. Okay. And um, the prostate, again, is an organ that's found only in men? Only in men. Yeah. Correct. And so the cancer that you study is specific to male health, but there's another, I mean, there's a whole suite of cancers that are specific to either sex. There's ovarian cancers and right. breast, cancer breast cancer that tends to be more female-heavy. Correct. Um, so what is the effect of prostate cancer right now on, you know, the American public? How common is it or how devastating is it? Right, so actually one in six men will be diagnosed with prostate cancer in their lifetime and 
one man in 36 will die of metastatic prostate cancer or prostate cancer that has spread to different organs. And within prostate cancer, it, it tends to spread mainly to the bone. And also, prostate cancer is the second leading cause of cancer mortality among American men. So this is definitely a, a cancer that mainly afflicts uh, men of older age, but it's something that's definitely you know worth worth studying because many men are affected with prostate cancer. Yeah, and before we get into your research too, is there just a general health recommendation for men to be checked for prostate health after they're, you know, 40 years old or something like that? Right, so, you know, so I mean, I think it really depends on family history, and it also depends on race. So actually, African-Americans have a higher tendency to get prostate cancer, so it's recommended for them to be checked out before other races. So they're, they're, I think, five or 10 years uh, younger in terms of when they should start being checked out for prostate cancer. Well, just something for the listeners, any older men in the audience, to ask their doctors about if they ever go in for a physical. Right. Uh, something to be aware of, because right. it is an important cause of unnecessary health troubles. If we could be more proactive about detecting it, we can be better at better at treating it. Right. Um, so, in general, how do we treat prostate cancer? I know you said it depends on the stage that we detect it at. So, yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think if the, the cancer is still localized within the prostate, then... The first thing that can be done is the removal of, of, of the cancer of the tumor. Um, but if the cancer has spread locally, um, so if it's gone outside of uh, the prostate, then there's different, different type of therapies that can be done. One of these is called hormone therapy, and another is actually surgical or chemical castration. So both of these therapies, the goal is to really to reduce hormone, mainly the hormone testosterone, because testosterone is important for prostate cancer growth. Okay. And so that is through, testosterone is an androgen, is that correct? Right. It's an androgen. So it's one of those uh, hormones that, um, that, you know, it leads to more uh, muscle mass, deeper voice, okay. uh, more facial hair, body hair. So it has a whole bunch of normal roles in your right. life. Exactly. But if there are problems in for whatever, whatever the cause is, if you have some problems, then these signals can ultimately lead to the proliferation of cancer, of these ki- this kind of cancer. Right, right. So prostate cancer is a hormonally driven cancer, which means that prostate cancer cells need hormone testosterone in order to divide and proliferate and to grow. So the main idea with many of these therapies is to get rid of or deplete this hormone, the, the idea being to minimize the growth of the prostate cancer. That seems like it'd be pretty, um, it would have a pretty significant effect on the patient's life. Would it not affect a number of their right. biological functions? No, yeah, exactly. So, um, so, one, of, so one, one of the therapies is surgery, but as my boss says a lot, he says that the prostate is located in prime real estate. What he means by that is that when a patient has his prostate removed because of the tumor, there are nerves that connect for, for erections. So some of the side effects um, with surgery in particular is a lack of sexual appetite after, yeah. after the surgery because some of the surgery may affect the nerves that run uh, to the penis and uh, elicits erections. Wow. So clearly it is a common and important cancer to be studying, and the effects can be significant on the patient's health Correct. and survival, ultimately. And you mentioned that one of the most, well, perhaps important turning points of the progression of this disease is when the cancer spreads outside of the prostate into the bone. Right. Uh, how does that occur? 
how does the prostate how does it metastasize into the bone yeah you know that's a good question i'm not really sure how how that actually occurs it, it's, so there's a hypothesis though that that's it's called the seed and soil hypothesis in cancer so what that basically means is that certain cancers have a tendency to go to certain soils so the seed would be the cancer and the soil would be the, the new the, site right the new site yeah. and i think that's a really an active area of research to why you know why does the prostate cancer metastasized to the bone and certain areas like that. So I'm not exactly sure why it goes to the bone in particular. Okay. So, but part of the process must involve cancer cells moving throughout the body. Correct. Right. Right. So, in order for the for the um, cancer to to spread, it needs to break away from the primary tumor. So, for example, if you have prostate cancer, the cancer is growing within the prostate. So it's not really known at what stage the cells really just break off the primary tumor. So it could be early on, it could be later later on with uh, in prostate cancer progression. But eventually it's thought that cells do break off and they shed from the primary tumor and they're thought to enter circulation into the bloodstream where they're now known as CTCs or circulating tumor cells. And it's thought that some of these CTCs actually go on to um, metastasize and form uh, secondary tumors in, for example, the bone. But a lot of this is still kind of active research and to really understand what's going on. Yeah, but at least it's one of the purported mechanisms by which cancer can spread through your body is through these circulating right. the CTCs. Right, the circulating tumors, tumors, exactly. Okay, and so let's get into your research. And that was one of the things you were focusing on is how CTCs work and how we can study them. So right, right. why don't you describe sort of what the goal of your your most recent project was? Yeah, so uh, my most recent project was um, researching these CTCs or circulating tumor cells. And as I explained earlier, the CTCs are cells that shed from primary tumors or secondary tumors, um, as a matter of fact, and they are thought to circulate through um, the bloodstream and form potentially uh, a metastasis. So the goal of my research was to really study these CTCs and to really come up with a new technique to study these cells. So we use um, what is known as ImageStream, and what ImageStream allowed us to do is really to take pictures on a per-cell basis of these CTCs. So we were able to really identify whether these CTCs were, in fact, tumor cells, or we were able to discriminate whether these were was debris or non-CTCs based on morphology and other proteins and markers that we define as a circulating tumor cell. And one of the challenges with this was the low frequency with which you find them in the blood. Exactly. So most of what the blood is is not a circulating cancer cell. And so how did you isolate these little bits of tissue to, to study them? <clears throat> right, right. So what we use is, again, there, well, there's a couple ways that we went about studying this. One way was to, we're able to sort these cells. So we're able to sort them based on different proteins that define a CTC as a CTC. So there's um, flow cytometry, which allows cells to be sorted based on protein um, that, again, defines the CTC. But the other way we studied it was ImageStream, as I mentioned. So, so that in that process, you are able to, you're able to attach a tag to the CTC, the circulating right, exactly. tumor cell. Exactly. And then with that <clears throat> tag, you can sort of pull them out and then study them in your laboratory. Right, so it, it depends what, what we want to do with. If we want to sort them, then we can study them. 
But with ImageStream, we unfortunately were not able to study them in the laboratory. And actually, studying CTCs within the lab is a little bit difficult for various reasons. But what we, we did is we, like you mentioned, we had tagged a fluorescent tag that's an antibody that attaches itself to important proteins that we want to study. And these antibodies fluoresce, so they're, they illuminate when they're zapped by a laser. Mm-hmm. And that really enables us to determine, A, if they're CTCs, and B, if they are CTCs, well, what type of molecular markers or proteins do these CTCs have, at what quantity, et cetera? Yeah. So the goal was to develop techniques and tools to isolate and then study and better understand these cells, the right. CTCs. Right. So that was, like, that was the the first goal was definitely to develop a new technique to just see if this was feasible, if yeah. we were able to study these cells at the molecular level. And what it turned out was it was we would. We were able to study these cells using ImageStream. But the second goal was really to really understand the antigen receptor, which is a protein that's really important in prostate cancer initiation and progression. So we really wanted to quantify and study this protein that's very important within prostate cancer. Okay, and, and so how did you do that? Once once you were able, you did that with the circulating tumor cells. Correct. Uh, how did you approach that that question? So, again, we use fluorescent markers to to tag the to tag the antigen receptor, and then we were able to use ImageStream to really determine where within a circulating tumor cell. The antigen, the antigen receptor was located. So we were able to determine if it was located in the cytoplasm or in the nucleus. Okay, so you're seeing within a cell right. where these the proteins? Yep, yep. Where these proteins are right. to understand basically what role they might be having in CTC function and differentiation <laughs> and development. Is that correct? We were more interested in the location of the, the AR protein to really determine... We weren't able to really decipher function, but it was more of kind of an association, okay. um, an association with AR and where it was located within the nucleus. And this is important because if AR is within the nucleus, then it may imply that it's functioning. Okay, but if it's outside, then it might be less right. likely to right. be working. Okay. Right, because it needs to be in the nucleus for it to function properly. Okay. Right. And so remind me again, what did you find when you were looking at AR within the cells? Right. So we found a couple of different things. So when we looked at AR specifically and we wanted to test where it is within the cell, if it's cytoplasmic or nuclear, we really found that when AR was within the nucleus, it had more of this uh, marker that's associated with proliferation. So this implies that although these patients were treated um, with different drugs to block AR, to prevent AR from functioning, AR seems still seems to be potentially functioning because it's co-localized or located within the nucleus. So that was one major finding for us. And the other was um, we looked at patients that had been exposed previously to a drug that's FDA-approved. It's abiraterone. And the way this drug works is by decreasing androgen synthesis, the goal being to decrease androgen synthesis, then ultimately there would be less prostate cancer growth. Okay. So what we did is when we compared patients that had been exposed to this drug versus those that were never exposed to this drug, the patients that were exposed to this drug had more androgen receptor, implying that these CTCs may be compensating by increasing their AR levels 
in, in response to having less testosterone um, around. Then again, testosterone is important for the AR to function, so these cells may be just making more AR to survive. Okay, so let me just make sure I, I got this yeah, yeah, straight. No so problem. for the second half, it was for these cancer cells to progress and survive and develop, they need to have signaling through testosterone that's registered <clears throat> using the androgen receptor. Right. And normally in treatment, you would try to treat the cancer by reducing the amount of testosterone right. and right. therefore also reducing the proliferation of these cancer cells. Right. But right. what you found was using these methods to study exactly how proliferation was occurring in these circulating cancer cells right. that it seems as though there's a mechanism within the cell by which they're able to compensate for the t lack of testosterone right. by producing more of the receptor and potentially allowing for compensatory growth or right, compensatory that's, proliferation. Right, that's what our uh, results imply. Okay, and so that's that's kind of alarming. Is that is that a new result? Is that something <coughs> people had anticipated in the past? So it, it, it has been reported in the literature that cells make more androgen receptor in response. To um, reduce to, testosterone. Right, right. Okay. But we were the first to show in circulating tumor cells that this continues and this occurs. That seems like it seems like it should be slightly alarming. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So, so what do you do with that information? What do we do now? So that's a good question. So, I think the goal again of of this research was really to. So, so like the long term goal, um, and and I I won't necessarily see this as a graduate student, right? And I don't know if necessarily we'll see this in the lab, but. The goal would be to eventually use this similar types of technology to have personalized medicine. One can imagine if a patient would come into a doctor's office and their blood would be taken, they would be determined to have circulating tumor cells, and their circulating tumor cells would show that AR was nuclear, for example. So this would imply that these patients would benefit more from certain types of drugs that affect AR that's functioning. So I think one uh, future direction would be to really focus on a more homogeneous population because our group was heterogeneous um, in terms of drug treatments. So if we could focus more on, on a more homogeneous population and really verify our results would be like the next major step. But from there, again, like the ultimate goal would be to potentially use this in the clinic. I mean, there's many hurdles that one has to go overcome for this, but that would be like the goal to personalize uh, for personalized medicine. Okay, and this approach of studying circulating tumor cells, is that one that's common across different cancer types or is this something that's you think uniquely applicable to this kind of cancer? So there, there are definitely other types of cancers that, that can use circulating tumor cells, right? So like breast cancers, lung cancers, they all have these circulating tumor cells and it just, it varies. Some patients have more CTCs, others have less. Is this avenue of research being pursued by those groups yet? Or do you think this is going to help to convince people that it's a worthwhile way of studying cancers within the body to figure out exactly what the best treatment is? Right. So there are definitely a lot of uh, other groups um, within other types of cancers that also focus on CTCs, although their approaches may be a little bit different. You know, like it's everybody has a little bit different way to kind of approach the study of circulating tumor cells. But whereas a lot of groups have focused on enumeration, just kind of counting okay. how many CTCs there are, we tended to focus more on the, the molecular level um, because that, that really will um, enable more of like a personalized medicine approach long-term. Maybe just getting back to the results a little bit. Mm -hmm. So you were able to measure compensatory responses in 
circulating tumor cells that had undergone certain kinds of treatment. So you dose them with a drug that's supposed to reduce it, but somehow they're able to compensate by increasing the number of androgen receptors. Do you think that is happening also within the prostate or is this that that response unique to the CTCs? Does that make sense? Is it all of that kind of cancer cell that you think is responding or just one subset that you looked at? Right. That's that's a really good question. Um, it's, it's definitely <clears throat> so cancer is definitely there's like a selection process that's going on within cancers. Right. Um, so out of 100 cancers or cells, some of them are a little bit different based on their genetics. So for whatever reason, a Darwinian, yeah, a Darwinian yeah. uh, approach or Darwinian mechanism, just by chance, some may have this potential to compensate. So th- that's a good question. I'm not really sure, but I would guess that the cells, not just circulating tumor cells, are the ones that are compensating. I would guess that there's also other cells that also have the potential, other prostate cancer cells that have the potential to kind of, for whatever reason, be selected for and, and make more of this androgen receptor. Well, it it all sounds it's it all sounds very encouraging. It's a very positive thing because, as compared to other methods, this seems to be a lot less invasive. We don't have to necessarily open somebody up to figure out what's right. going on in the cancer cells. We right. can do it just by looking at blood. Uh, it also allows for more precise treatment potentially. More right. information is always better. Exactly. Um, so, thanks for doing this kind yeah, of stuff. It's, a, it's all really interesting. <laughs> right. How did you end up working on this project? So. I teamed up with a um, a physician scientist, uh, Russell Schmulowitz, and you know he he had been trying to study circulating tumor cells for a while, and he he was using a different approach, and we kind of got together with another uh, mentor, Donald Vandegren, and all three of us kind of came up with this idea of using this new technology, ImageStream, to really focus on circulating tumor cells, and for me. As a graduate student, I really wanted a project that was clinically relevant. You know, so part of the reason I'm doing research is because I want the the that human application, and this really allowed for me to study humans in a disease and has a potential for therapeutic value. So, yeah, that's great. And in science in general, how'd you get into becoming a scientific researcher? Yeah, so that's another good question. So, the short the shortish story, I guess, <laughs> would be I. Was it now 12, 13 years ago now? I was at a community college and I just by luck teamed up with a crazy chemist named uh, Joseph Ledbetter. Great guy. Um, my first mentor, I was in his class. Where in the world was this? This is in California? In California. Yeah, this is back in California. So I, I was in his class and he kind of came up to me one day. He was like, hey, you know, he kind of encouraged me to apply for this minority based program, um, the Center for Science Excellence. And he encouraged me to apply. I applied. Um, I got in. I was funded, and I did well in classes. And from there, it just really encouraged me to kind of, you know, f- I figured out that I really enjoyed science. It was uh, intellectually challenging, yeah. and it was about discoveries, which really excited me. And that's, I mean, that's pretty much like the like the root of where kind of uh, where this came from. Cool. And has it always been medically based science? Did you ever do anything? You know. I so I'm interested in science in general, yeah. you know. But for me, I I'm definitely interested in more of the the human side of science, um, and like the application, you know. So again, for me, an ultimate goal would be to potentially, you know, work as a as a PI, as a professor, a researcher, or you know, maybe an in industry. I'm not really sure at this point. But my goal would be to have some type of an effect on humanity. I mean, it sounds a little cheesy, but it's like it's it's true. Like I I would like to have a 
new therapeutics for patients and that that could help the masses. Right. No, that sounds great. So what do you think the plans are in the lab for this project? I know you're going to go off to bigger and better things, right. now, but I, I assume they're following up on this to some degree. Right. So the next step with the CTC project and specifically, yeah, so um, we focus on the androgen receptor for the, the last study. So the next study, would it's actually focusing on another protein um, that's important in various types of tumors and also it's thought to be um, important in prostate cancer. It's CD133. So the next part of this project would be to use the same technologies to study other proteins of interest, such as CD133 or SOX2, which is another protein that we're studying in, in the lab. Okay, just expanding the toolbox. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So that's like the best thing I do as a graduate student is to leave my mentors with a, a tool <laughs> that they can use. That's a plug for my mentors. So. <laughs> All right. Uh, that sounds great. Well, thank you, Edwin, for coming in. Thank you. And the title of this research, which was recently published in the Journal of Translational Medicine, is The Quantitative Characterization of Androgen Receptor Protein Expression and Cellular Localization of Circulating Tumor Cells from Patients with meta Metastatic Castration-Resistant Prostate Cancer. It's a mouthful. Yeah, say that 10 times fast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, man. Uh, thank we you. will take a quick break and then be back with some science news.